cut out any tones of guilt, deficiency, or fear in fundraising. Focus more on the positive relationships as your key priority. And then funds raised will be a byproduct of that engagement and that behavior. Inform, inspire, and evolve. Welcome to Creating Community for Good, a podcast dedicated to philanthropy, the love of humankind. Join host Lindsay Simons in a friendly conversation about contributing to good as we bring together community, positivity, and energy to the business of generosity. Welcome your host, Lindsay Simons. Hi, this is the Creating Community for Good podcast, and I'm your host, Lindsay Simons. Today's episode is an edited version of a recent nonprofit fundraising webinar I presented on Bloomering called Stewardship is the Strategy. With over 1,500 registrants, I figured this was one worth sharing with you, my podcast community as well. Be sure to check out the show notes on my website for the full deck, including statistics, lists, and a script for stewardship calls. Stewardship of giving is a critical element to recognizing mission fulfillment, and it will ultimately merit continued giving over time. In this episode, I'll share my insights on why stewardship is intrinsically connected to the culture of philanthropy and how to encourage your donors to not only continue giving, but to give more over time. I'll offer statistics, tactics, strategies, and resources that are both evergreen and innovative They'll be relevant during your time of social distancing, especially. Welcome to the Creating Community for Good podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to philanthropy, the love of humankind, with the intention to inform, inspire, and evolve. Here we go. Thank you all for joining. I'm so pumped that I have this opportunity to speak with you and to offer my thoughts. So I will say that that's what this is. It's an offering. It's coming from a place of care, concern, love, passion. I'm deeply passionate about philanthropy and the love of humankind. We'll get into the details as why I picked this topic. We'll get into facts and figures and stories. Let's get started. This is a little bit more about me. I got some training at CCS. I left as a vice president about three years ago and started my own consulting firm. I focus on major capital campaigns, major gifts, stewardship, absolutely, which is the topic today. And I do a lot of coaching. I do coaching with executive directors, board members, new hires. I look at our charts and what's working and how do we staff appropriately? What are the communications going to donors? And I'm always looking for awesome clients. I only take a few on at a time. So I'm not taking any at the very moment. But please ping me if you're interested in any of these services or if I can point you in the direction of some other my peers and my colleagues in the space. I started in 2008, which meant the Great Recession. So time of change is when I was learning either to sink or swim. And I, I figured out how to swim. And what I will tell you is if you take nothing else from this, it's just keep going. Keep going with your fundraising. One of the early participants on this podcast just typed in a note saying, hey, never done professional fundraising before. And we launched our campaign basically the same week as Shelter in Place was put in place. So we've got your moral support sending that to you, Jill, and know that those who persevere, those who continue on, even if you slow down or delay, continue of communication and continue on with your fundraising. It will be much easier to build your momentum over time than if you do a full halt stop 
and then try to re-get back into the game. I know that some of you are seeing headlines that are negative and doomsday. I want you to know that that's not a comprehensive scope and those are early numbers. I'm actually seeing giving as uh, is increasing and I'm talking to many donors who are giving now more than they had in the past or they're giving at least some giving, even if it's not the same level. People are activated, people are listening, people are compelled. So that's that. That's about me. Some of my awesome clients' affiliations are here. I'm going to give a special shout out to the Scandinavian School and Cultural Center who's really wrestling with philanthropy in a different way than they ever have before. And also in their representation of Black Lives Matter. So every single one of these organizations has made a statement declaring their support of Black Lives Matter and an end to injustice, an end to racism, an end to violence. I'm proud of them and I'm proud to have served them. Why this topic? So what is really the heart of fundraising right now? And I would say that it's all about supporting each other. It's about seeing the interconnectedness and taking the money out of the conversation, but instead figuring out how you can support those who supported you. If philanthropy is a love of humankind, well then fundraisers are conduits of love in action. And it's a symbiotic relationship because you're serving each other, you're helping each other, right? And we all need more love and action right now more than ever. So that's the heart of why we're doing this, why I've selected this, this topic. I hope it's a meaningful one to you. The message here is by Maya Angelou. When we give cheerfully and accept gratefully, everyone is blessed. Ultimately, this is what's behind the topic today. When you lead with a heart and start with gratitude and abundance as a fundraiser, as a board member, as an executive director, everyone wins. Moreover, when people and nonprofits present abundance and opportunities, solutions, and gratitude, your organization is undeniably appealing, even in times of scarcity. So my message to you is cut out any tones of guilt, deficiency, or fear in fundraising. Focus more on the positive relationships as your key priority. And then funds raised will be a byproduct of that engagement and that behavior. If you hear nothing else, here are my three takeaways, and then you can hop off and do whatever else you want. While my recommendation is to drive forward with fundraising in most instances, not all, the strategic planning that you should be doing right now as a leader is really focused on deepening your relationships with your key stakeholders and integrating a sense of gratitude as well as a culture of philanthropy. So think about philanthropy as a mentality, as an integrated culture rather than a list of check marks. What we'll do in this hour, it's going to be woven together. So we're going to go over some of the trends, some of the fundamentals, some good stats on positive reports of engagement that's going well. We're going to explore how stewardship is intrinsically connected, ultimately, to the culture of philanthropy, including tips and strategies that are being used right now. I'm definitely going to highlight what I've been doing with my clients. I sit on boards. I volunteer. Philanthropy is my life. I'm fully engaged as a professional and as a human. So we'll do a lot of story time. I've got some specific language I'm going to share with you. And at the end, I'm going to throw in a couple of slides that are sort of like the bonus, the fun stuff that'll keep you thinking and think about other sectors and how some some of what we can what we can learn from other sectors, in particular the service industry, which I'll talk more about shortly here. One more quote from Maya Angelou, because I just could not decide which one I loved more. I found that among its other benefits, giving liberates the soul of the giver. So in other words, giving is human nature. You can see that it that it is a service ultimately. 
So shifting your mentality as a fundraiser, as a board member, as an advocate, you're actually allowing others to have the opportunity to be liberated or to express their participation, their efforts, and to contribute towards movement. So now let's move in. The fundamentals. I'm not going to spend too much time on this because I know many people have the basics of fundraising who are joining us, but just to set the stage so we're all talking with using the same language here in fundraising, this is the classic donor life cycle, okay? So you have identification. I like to talk about the golden triangle. So we've got affinity, access, and ability. If you've got donors who are fitting into those three in your Venn diagram, then those are good prospective donors that you've identified. Next, you want to start cultivating them. So cultivating their interests, rallying them behind exactly what you do or what your project is. Then solicitation stage. Now, of course, you might be in cultivation mode for one or two calls, maybe 18 months. With major gifts, we talk about an average of anywhere from six to 18 months with online giving, anything from a couple of days. So it definitely varies. But the next stage after you get the gift, that's the stewardship phase. That's what we're going to be focusing on. So donor stewardship is the process that occurs once the donor has given to your organization. After stewardship moves are made, you can easily move back into cultivation mode. In fact, that's what you should be doing. On occasion, you might go up to the identification again and say, does this person still align with what we're trying to do? Have we shifted? Has our mission shifted in any way? Or has this donor's priorities shifted in any way? Then you might pop them back into the identification. Otherwise, it's really just this circle of cultivation, solicitation, stewardship, cultivation, solicitation, stewardship. So the classic forms of stewardship that I want to hit on now, but then we're going to get into what's happening today and what am I seeing in real time. So obviously, it's all about reports, receipts, recognition, notes, phone calls, personal connection at the core of these stewardship concepts. Yeah, we're doing more video chats. We're doing more virtual events. I get it. It's weird, but that's what's happening and you got to keep it up. I think everybody on this call has probably heard that 17,000 times. I know I have every time I open any advice from a philanthropy advisor, it says keep communicating. So yes, keep communicating. Why stewardship? Let's just take a step back and remember why do people give in the first place? Okay. So that's going to help inform your stewardship strategies. It's human nature to give. If you remember what motivates giving on a human level, you can use that information to direct how you're receiving and stewarding donations. In summary, people give to people and they're inspired by big ideas that can have a big impact using their giving, their philanthropy. Therefore, stewardship must and it should demonstrate merit for continued philanthropy, obviously, right? Think about some of the business terms of ROI, which means return on investment. So what are you doing with the investment that the donor has given you, such as their money? So that's the impact, how many people you're serving, how much land you've preserved, you know, what kind of programs are being developed, how you're securing your future with building a reserve of funding so that you can weather storms. Talk about the impact as the front and center of any stewardship so that folks can feel like I'm making a difference and I'm getting my mission fulfilled through you simply by funding you, right? That's the heart of stewardship. 
And ultimately, it's going to deepen your trust. Hopefully, you get some referrals for future donors. You get your donors to continue to give, right? I mean, that's that's ultimately that life cycle that I was just speaking to is that after you've stewarded somebody very well, they feel that there's a tangible impact. They feel good about their giving. They want to see the next program move forward. They want to see the ball continue advance down the field. Well, then they're ready for their next gift. So what is the problem? Ultimately, what's happening with stewardship, what's a major, major problem that I'm seeing all across the board with many foundations or organizations is that they get into transactional fundraising because they've got pressure, right? So if we focus too much on statistics, how many asks you're getting, how many gifts you're getting, how many new donors you acquire, what's the average gift? That is all very important. And believe me, as a campaign manager, I look at those numbers every day. I love that stuff. But ultimately, you have to make sure that your community, your entire nonprofit, that is, the volunteer staff, beneficiaries even, that they have a culture of philanthropy, that they see that this is an ecosystem in and of itself, right? We also see that the average retention rate is low. It's 45%. New donor acquisition is about five times the cost of retaining donors. Think about that. What that means is you're better off really diving deep into stewardship of your current donors than hunting for new donors in a major way. Seriously. So that's something that I want to pause on because I see a lot of directors, especially in folks who are new hires, they come in and they say, we got to shake it up. We've got a lot of bad eggs in this pipeline. Let's get rid of them. Let's bring in some new people. How can we be fresh? How can we creative? I'm asked a lot, you know, as a consultant, you know, we want to hire you. Can you bring donors to us? And really the answer is like, no, and that's not really the best strategy. Yes, you should always be inviting new people to support your organization. Yes, you should always be hunting for new relationships that are very deeply meaningful. But you also want to go to the donors who've already been giving to you and ensure that they continue giving and hopefully even upgrade their giving. So how can you do that? And go back to the basics. If you're new to fundraising, if you're new to a nonprofit, go through the files and really check that those who've been parsed out and have been removed from lists, that they deserve to be removed. And that's okay. I'm not saying that everybody who's been removed needs to be coming back onto your list. I'm just saying that make sure you've gone through and you've really had meaningful outreach that is totally removed from a solicitation. So solutions, like I just said, segment your pool and create plans. That's, that's pretty simple. Now, it's a big overhaul. So it's easy to say, but it's a big overhaul. I know that. I would say it's worth spending time on though. And increase your mission-centric communication. So throughout the year, you should be talking about all the great things the organization is doing and the impact that you're having. Train all of your employees to treat your volunteers, your donors, your guests, like VIPs using the Ritz-Carlton gold standards. And that's one of the goodies that I'm going to share at the very end is what the heck does that mean? But there are actually 12 points that you can easily integrate into. It's take the language from service and put it into nonprofit. It's awesome to, to do a side-by-side. And we'll get to that at the very end. So I'm going to start with a fun, embarrassing story of myself. All right. So here was the deal. Right out of college, I just wanted to be a ski bum. Okay. So my life goals may not have been grand yet. They were essentially to stop thinking about my studies. I went to University of Denver and uh, where I grew up, studied international 
studies, politics, conflict resolution, gender issues and equity, as well as economics. And I was ready to take a break. I was ready to be a hardcore ski bum and just get that dog I always wanted. I got a Subaru, as you do in Colorado, and I was ready to go. And then in real life, of course, I needed to earn a living to make this happen. So after years of high-end sales and retail and real estate while in college, to work as I worked my way through, I landed a job as a manager on duty at a fancy membership ski on ski off club in the mountains of Colorado. My objective, my MO as the manager on duty was do the job, check the list, make everyone happy, and then go skiing. So what did I do? I went around with my clipboard. I thanked everybody all the time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, this is done. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And what could possibly go wrong? Here I was going out of my way to thank everybody and make sure that I had done my job. I was really annoying. That was really, really annoying for people. Okay. <laughs> so what went wrong? Well, it was like very transactional. My thinking was not complex. It was not thinking about the relationship. I moved too quickly. And clearly I lacked maturity as a 22 or three-year-old. What I could have done better was slow down to demonstrate impact and show partnership and learn from their experiences. So what I could have done as an example is I could have said, you know, to the front desk person, thank you so much for your awesome work today. What I noticed was this couple was talking about how happy they were that you're back. They love the way you greet you. I just overheard them and wanted to share that story with you. Or I could have said something like sales are at an all-time high today or they're at the peak this week. And that means you must have greeted a number of people. That's great. And it looks like we're going to hit our metrics this week. And I know that that means that we all get an extra hour off or pay increase, whatever it may be. So if I can actually attribute some value or some meaning, giving specific and meaningful feedback and thanks, then I'm sure that I would have improved my relations with these folks that I was you know, too young to be managing, honestly, as a little pipsqueak. So why that unconventional story about my work at a ski resort? Well, the point is to say that we should be thinking about stewardship as a process and a mentality, not just a checklist or tedious quarterly reports, which I know are tedious. And there are organizations out there that are trying to figure out how to improve that because funders really want you to be doing your work rather than filling out reports. But the way our ecosystem of nonprofits works is that we do have a lot of reporting to do. So as you do your reporting, try to integrate the mentality of stewardship throughout. I want to talk about what I'm seeing today as a fundraising consultant in this crisis mode, of course. It's not all about perfect perfection and polish right now. It is all about personalization, authenticity, humility, community, and partnership. So stewardship in time of crisis looks like this. It looks like a, a random sampling of about 4,000 Bloomerang customers found that those who reached out to donors personally, like with a phone call, personal email, text message, I'm seeing a lot of that, and in-person interactions, or maybe that's video, socially distanced interactions, in March and April 2020, they're seeing significant year-over-year increase in revenue compared to those who didn't. 
So take note of that because like I said earlier, there's a lot of doom and gloom out there, but the truth is that there's actually some comprehensive reports coming out talking about the the positive responses that nonprofits are seeing in terms of donors and engagement. It's so important right now that you're really being proactive and you're not waiting for your, your board members, your donors to say, and what are you doing about Black Lives Matter? And what are you doing about the summer? How are we supposed to approach what's happening in terms of the shelter in place? And should we be marching and then coming to the organization? So I know I've got a I've got a school that I work with and they have a big debate about that. You know, how are we managing reopening the school when we've got people who are doing a high exposure and they've got board meetings every night, it seems, to really talk about these questions. And then they're coming up with statements and giving directions. So being proactive and timely is making a big difference. Use your authentic voice and tone. Okay, so you're not going to get everything perfect right now. You probably don't have time to hire a writer or communications expert. Instead, speak from the heart and speak with your best voice, your highest intentions, your mission-centric work, your service-oriented work, and you'll really demonstrate your humanity. That's going to go a long way in terms of building trust and showing that we truly are all in this together. So another thing that I want to recommend, and we'll talk about a great example in a few minutes, is that you're showing up and offering help to your beneficiaries. You're not just asking them to help you. You're not just asking them to fund you. You're not just telling them about the crisis. They know about the crisis, but you're also asking them, and how are you doing? And is there anything that we can do using our mission to help you as a person or your family or your community? What do you need? I do really like that there are high value conversations to be had right now. And I'm going to share some language that really dissects what that means. And then I did get a request for this comment just the other day. And it was, how do I balance making a solicitation as well as stewardship in this time. Because yes, I want to steward everybody, but also, yes, I need to fundraise. So we get that. And if necessary, and you only have a limited time with your your donor, then do a tandem conversation. So spend early part talking about, maybe it's if it's a 60-minute meeting, asking them, how are you doing? Level setting, giving them updates. Here's what we've done. Here's what we're planning on doing. And this is what we're going to do to address the unknown that we're walking into. How can we help you? Does this meet your expectations of impact? And then when you're ready, you can use specific language that transitions you. So you might ask permission. You might say, have we answered all your questions? Is now a good time to transition to another part of the conversation, which is how you might be able to support us during this time and get their feedback. They might instantly say, you know what? I, I really don't think I can. I'm at my max. And then what you do is thank them and move on, right? So you're really hearing them. You're knowing when people are at their threshold. Otherwise, you're going to have others saying, yeah, let's talk about it. What do you need? I don't know exactly what I can give right now, but what do you need? And then you as that fundraiser or the board member, whatever your role is, you can start transitioning to talking about, as you know, what we've just laid out is going to require this. And so what we're looking for is this. Are you interested in helping us? So asking these permission questions will help you to handle these awkward questions and conversations in this time of heightened sensitivity and urgency. Now, crisis communications. If you find this helpful, you might have a team meeting about this and say, so here's what others are doing. What can we do? 
Are we checking in with our donors or asking them how they're doing? We've, we've talked about that, of course. Are you showing the impact on your social media, your website? Are you writing handwritten notes right now? Because that's going a long way. Are you texting? Some people cannot stand being texted. Others like it. Check in with your donors. Check the vibe. Know your audience. But I've found that a couple texts I'm getting... I sit on a board of uh, build.org, which I love and I love to promote too. I got such an awesome text from the executive director of Bay Area, Ryan Oliver, just the other day after our board meeting that was sent to me and, and the other three of our executive committee saying, thank you so much for your guidance in anticipation of this board meeting. I couldn't have done it without you. That text, I mean, I'm still talking about today. It was six days ago. It really buoyed me. It really lifted my spirits as a donor and as a advisor, as a volunteer. I give a lot of time to that organization And that simple expression of gratitude, where he was clearly relieved that the board meeting went well and that the advice we'd given him was helpful, that really went a long way for me, I have to say. So take that into consideration too. How are you texting people? The fourth item here is celebrating people. Yeah, like awkward birthdays are happening. I'm seeing a lot of birthday celebrations and houses decorated. Think about if it's appropriate for you to do that. Perhaps for a few of your very close longtime donors, you might. Also, if people have given for X number of years, maybe call that out and just say, thank you so much for being you know, a longtime supporter of us. We're, we're hitting our five-year mark of since you joined our forces of supporting us. Send a kindness kit. I love this. So coloring books for kids, coffee table books of your project or the impact favorite snacks. That's been a fun one I've seen going around if your organization has anything to do with food or uh, culture and community. Share your favorite recipe books or quotes. I know I was sending to another peer volunteer some quotes for a little while while he was in the midst of chaos with three kids and juggling active work. Send puzzles. So I used to work at UCSF Medical Center as a consultant when I was with CCS. And one of my favorite stewardship gifts was creating a puzzle that was of the rendering of the future buildings that we were building. So it was to one of the major donors. We sent him this customized puzzle. He loves it. He puts it on, he had it on his table, his coffee table for many years. And when people would come in for meetings, it would be a conversation piece where he could get a chance to talk about his investment and how much it means to him. And they might fiddle around with filling in the pieces. So it's a great conversation piece. I know we're not all popping into each other's offices yet, but we will eventually. And if for nothing else, your family can have something to work on and play with that's that's customized and reminds them of the organization that you are and that they support. Now, sending videos, I love this one. So I've been recommending to all the executive directors that I'm working with that they send a short video, whether it's 30 seconds or five minutes, three, five minutes. I wouldn't do much more than that, really. Yes, record board meetings and send them out for those who can't make it. But doing a quick and short update in video is going a long way. I've seen Soapbox and ThinkView as being helpful and efficient. Feel free to use whatever works for you. I've actually just picked up my phone and recorded myself and posted it on social media when there are updates that I want to share. And I've seen that with other nonprofits too, doing that. It's candid, it's real, and it's easy to digest. I definitely recommend it. There's an inundation of emails and there's a lot of reading going on. And human-to-human connection still seems to be the number one way of engaging other humans. It makes sense. Right. So consider if you want to do that. Also, for sure, sending 
statements and articles and guidance so that your donors feel informed. That's a great way of stewarding donors to say, you know what, I am a donor to X, Y, and Z, and this is what they're doing in this time of crisis, or this is what they're doing to support BML, or this is what they're doing to support the program right now. When your donors are armed with information and expert resources, they feel empowered to talk about you. And that is the best way to get new donors and make your current donors feel reinforced by why they give intrinsically. So they're doing it for themselves. All you're doing is resourcing them, arming them with information. And adults love to continue learning, just like kids do. You know, once we get out of school, we love information and especially information that's not just, you know, headliners and some of what we got going on in the media right now. It's just a little too intense. So giving some good, tangible, and digestible expert information is really helpful. Finally, I love this piece of advice, the last one. And this one was one that my former boss and current mentor and friend, Rick Happy from CCS, he shared this with me on one of my podcasts called Fundraising During the Time of Crisis. It was a couple of weeks ago. I think it was like number eight. So if you, you want to listen to that, I think it was our best performing podcast because it was so well done. And Rick Happy is just such a wealth of knowledge as well as CCS. I'm grateful for that. One thing he shared with me was as a fundraiser, as a nonprofit leader or board member, your duty is to not only advance your mission and your beneficiaries, but it's also to support your benefactors and to give them sound guidance. So when a board member calls and says, I don't know what to do, I want to support the frontline workers, I want to support the hospitals, I want to provide food to those in need, and you are an arts organization, I really don't know how I can support you right now when I have all these competing priorities. That's an example. As your arts organization, you might say, yes, and we do that too. Here's who we're supporting or here's who we're recommending you support. And also, we need funding in order to maintain our program, make sure that we're open when we can be open, make sure that we're paying the staff of those employed and that we're not laying people off. Here's why it's important for you to also support us. So again, it's getting out of your own way, getting out of your metrics and really thinking holistically about what does it mean to have stewardship at the center as your strategy and philanthropy, a culture of philanthropy. A culture of philanthropy means it's not a zero-sum game and that we're really all in this together to elevate society. You're doing it through your mission, but ultimately you want everyone to win. We all win when we all win, another friend of mine says. So Bills, I mentioned them earlier. Now they're a national organization. I'm here in the Bay Area and I sit on their executive committee of the local board, but check them out. What they've done is a really quick response. This was a couple of months ago, actually, when COVID first hit, was creating this Build Heroes campaign. The idea was it would be an honor roll for all the donors and a recognition wall for volunteers and employees also. So folks who are supporting and giving to this organization, they were highlighted in social media and tagged and they had this mini campaign. It was really ad hoc. It was super quick. It was pulled together with a lot of thoughtfulness, but speed as well to just shout out to as many people as you can, spread the love. I think it went a long way. It, it showed the mentality of gratitude and it, it recognized that there was a robust and abundance community that was supporting them. When other people see that there's a winning, a winning group or that there's a lot of movement in one direction, then they want to join that. 
that's why I talk about coming from a place of abundance and opportunity rather than scarcity and lack, because people are naturally just drawn to what's working and how can I be a part of that? So showing that you celebrate, recognize and appreciate the people from, you know, the service to the beneficiaries, the benefactors all the way through. It's a great strategy. Here's what another of my clients has done. And I was just on the call with them this morning. They just won another major gift. They've never done major gift fundraising before. They just got another one today, which is awesome. I'm proud of them. The Scandinavian School and Cultural Center. They were very quick to respond. And their executive director, Mimi, has been constantly bringing to every question or every conversation we have and how are we serving our families? And how are we serving our community? And how are we extending ourselves to those who don't even know about us? How are we of service right now? Because we will be okay, but will everybody else be okay? They had regular communication. Immediately after COVID-19 hit, they started with a phonathon, and it's a nurture campaign. It's to say that they gathered about 10 volunteers and for just in a couple of days, they were able to call over 200 families, donors, and families that are part of their community and ask them how they're doing. They added a brand new tab with resources for how to talk about the shelter in place, how to work remotely, what resources there are online that were educational or bullying in whatever way, talking about PPP funding. So as a resource. And then there was a virtual gala. It's really fun because they actually doubled their goal. Their in-person gala was set and obviously couldn't happen. So they postponed it, made it virtual. They made it dynamic. They had surveys. They had music. They had video. They showed their beneficiaries, showed the numbers. And in one hour, they actually doubled their goal. It was, it was pretty exciting to see. Then when we had the crisis and tragic death of George Floyd, they rallied immediately to say, how are we going to stand up and say, we don't, we don't condone this and we're not complicit and we are, we're, we make a statement against violence, racism and injustice. So they added that as a pop-up on their website. They also presented a statement and then they, they launched a diversity and inclusion working group that they just launched the other day. I mean, talk about being responsive and you know, listening and, and think, looking in the mirror, figuring out how, how can I really, how can we as an organization really tackle this injustice that's deeply embedded? They provide weekly updates. They also, when the school was closed, they had a meal program. And so because they already were paying the, the folks who were providing produce, it's plant-based and, and local, they said, we need to support this small business as well. We're going to give this food away for free because it's already part of our budget. It's already been paid for. So every Friday, they had people come by and pick up their bag of produce. The company is called Moomsa. If you're in the Bay Area and would like to check them out, they're awesome. I've started using them as well. And so they gave free food away. And if you couldn't come to the school, you couldn't get it, then they would deliver it to you. That was while there was a shelter in place and they weren't able to provide the food anyway. So you can see that it's a going above and beyond, but not in a way that's outside of what's authentic and part of their natural culture. And it really didn't cost much more than time and thoughtfulness. So think about how you can bake in stewardship to your operations, especially as you're asking for funds. Think about what you're giving back. 
as I said, uh, I wanted to hone in on this phone-a-thon concept and this nurture campaign. So it's not a nurture campaign like you would see like an email marketing jargon, but nurturing the community is what was intended here. It was about five-minute conversation. It was a typical phone tree. And uh, my belief is that with this, the empathy and human connection, people immediately felt heard, they felt cared for. And resoundingly, the results were super positive. People all said that they were fine, all things considered. They were grateful. They were appreciative of the phone call. They're appreciative of the human connection. And I believe it actually changed their mentality from being one of fear and concern to actually feeling a sense of unity, connection, and positivity. And that's what drove them to respond to say that things are good, all things considered. Uh, which is pretty surprising because, you know, in the moment, I know most people, including myself, you know, we all have moments of tremendous fear and change is very hard. So it was a, it was a really cool experience to go through this and walk through this with this, the Scandinavian School and Cultural Center here. And I just want to shout them out. Also, we just got word just two days ago that somebody, without having been asked at all, sent an email to the executive director and said, you know, I want to make a $10,000 gift, which is one of their top gifts in this organization. And they said, I just really, really appreciate how proactive and regular you've been with your communication. Your decisions are progressive and they're focusing on safety, inclusivity, and a path forward. And I want you to know that we support you. Moreover, brother, this family is leaving the community. They're moving. So it's a partying gift, which is sort of the best case scenario of philanthropy. Oftentimes people give because they're part of the community. This family gave as they were leaving. So it's a testament to how stewardship is the strategy. Well, then fundraising is the byproduct. You will receive funds. And when you go to make the ask, it will be a much easier conversation and much more a natural dynamic. And your donors will want to give. They'll want to support you. So here's another example of a way that nonprofits are supporting their their beneficiaries. What happened was this nonprofit reached out to a board member and asked them to pay their their dues early. Said, you know, we're in crunch time for cash flow. Would you consider making your pledge payment sooner? And also, will you help us get to the corporate funding that you've done in the past? because this person was responsible for corporate, corporate being the liaison to the corporate giving where he worked. He said, well, I would love to, but unfortunately I was laid off this week. My entire team was. So instead of simply empathizing and consoling and moving on, they had a quick meeting offline. And so what can we do to help this person and other people who are also going through job loss, experiencing job loss or uncertainty? So what they did instead was, and now this is happening live, uh, I don't know that it's actually been sent yet. It, it may be, so I can't say what the results are, but I can say that there's no doubt Goodwill will be incurred for this organization. It's a, a Google Doc that will simply say, put your name down. It's optional. You can opt in. And for any board member, so it's in a community of people that feels like they've been working together and they've got that sticky power already built and being reinforced here with this exercise, put your name in. And then what's your status? You have opportunities and you're willing to talk. You need an opportunity or you're willing to help in whatever way possible. Please feel free to reach out. Then the next column is here's my LinkedIn bio. Here's the hyperlink to LinkedIn. And here's my contact information. So whether it's best to text me, email me, 
LinkedIn, me, whatever it may be, and then any other notes that you want to give. So it's an optional opt-in for board members across the across the region. And I love this because it's really showing that we're we're asking our donors to give all the time, but we're actually giving to them too, and we're helping them to maintain their their basic needs of career and job. So those are my examples. This is a quote from Lynn Twist from the book, The Soul of Money, Transforming Your Relationship with Money and Life. I highly recommend this book. It's awesome. Darren Bird was just on my podcast the other day and referenced her as well. Take the money out of the conversation, focus on the relationship and, and the money will come. So that's my parting quote for you. And I want to open it up to questions. This is awesome, Lindsay. Thanks for that. I know you've been doing this a long, long time and we had a lot of questions. So I'll, I'll get into dig into them here. I'm going to, one stood out to me because Lindsay, it's, it's the question I've been asking all of my guests for the last three months or so. So I'm curious your take on it. And we talked about this before, but it seems like there's been a lot of kind of resistance to fundraising among some organizations. And, and yeah. sometimes that comes from the board saying, we can't fundraise right now. It's not right. People are losing their jobs. We're not the right kind of charity. You know, we're not feeding people. What do you say, especially if coming from the board who says, no, we shouldn't fundraise. And, and the fundraisers are kind of like, well, what are we going to do then? What do you think about that? <laughs> yeah. So I, what I think about it, and I also talked to Rick Happy about this, who, as you mentioned, is principal at CCS. So his recommendation, as well as mine, is to actually keep going with your fundraising. Now, you might approach the question differently. I I was just in a solicitation two days, no, maybe one week ago. We had our follow-up today. And we walked through the typical protocol of checking in, talking about the impact of the organization, talking about where we are today, what we're planning on doing, and then transitioning. Is it okay if we start talking about what it's going to take to get us there? They said, yes. They said, you know, of course, here's the phrase. I don't know how you've been impacted by COVID-19, by Black Lives Matter. I don't know what your family has been dealing with. I don't know what your capacity is, but I do know that our organization will continue to have opportunities to serve the community that we both Mm. support. What we're continuing to do is X, Y, and Z. And it takes funding to do that. Would you consider making an investment of $10,000 as an example this year and for the next three years for a total of $30,000? Then you're silent. You wait for the response. So that is going through the ask training, right? So there's your training in 30 seconds. Then what we did is allowed that person to say, you know, terrible timing. No, like I can't. Or to say... Yeah, you know what? I wanted to give and I sort of anticipated that's what this call was about, but I'm nowhere near that. I'm actually giving like $100 gifts right now, not anywhere near thousands, let alone 10,000, even though that donor had given thousands in the past, right? So as a fundraiser, I would say you would still want to aim high, but preface it with, I don't know your circumstances. I do know our opportunity. Would you be willing to do this? Those three points every time allow grace and space. Then we had our follow-up call today. What they said was, I know you wanted me to stretch. I know you asked big and it was a little bit uncomfortable. I'll tell you what we can do. And it's X, Y, and Z. It's not what you asked for, but it's more than what we thought. 
Will that work for you? And we said, yes, will it work for you though? Because we don't want you to be in a bad position. We want you to be feeling good and feeling able to do this. She said, no, I am able to do this. And I am excited and proud of this giving. That was an awesome way to round out that experience for her. So in summary, my recommendation is yes, go forward with solicitations, make them meaningful, make them personal. I would not say that you have to stretch on every ask. But I would say that if you preface, like, again, we don't know your circumstances, would you be willing to do this? I think that's really all it takes to have a real human to human communication about how we're all moving the needle. And furthermore, that if you're an arts organization, if you're a school, if you're somebody who's not on the front line, who's immediately addressing the very high crisis that we're in, it doesn't mean that you don't need to fund your programs. You still have employees that you're paying. And most likely they're nonprofit employees, which means that they're not getting paid that much, which means that they don't have a big nest egg. So it's important to make that case for support too, is that we're wanting to keep our employees paid. We're wanting to keep the program in motion. We are in a time of uncertainty, but we need to be resilient. We don't know what's going to happen in the fall. We don't know, you know how things will continue to unfold. We do know that we need to have some resiliency with our finances. Would you be willing to do that as well as supporting these other works? I love opening with we don't know your situation because it just seems like it disarms and totally. in a good way and just opens up the conversation. I love that. Yeah. We got another question here from Carmen also jumped out at me because I don't think I've, I've ever gotten this question before. And as I'm reading it, Lindsay, you're the perfect person to answer it. So oh Carmen's wondering for someone who is new to an organization where there are already existing major gift relationships, but there isn't a relationship between that donor and the new right. fundraiser. What should that person do? You know, there maybe there was a connection with the previous fundraiser, maybe yeah. someone else in the organization. What advice would you have to someone in that situation? So this is what I'm going to offer to everybody listening is this entire deck. And, and I'm happy to go into specific modeling of this dialogue right here. But if you're brand new to an organization and you're reaching out to an existing donor, what you should be doing is a listening campaign. So go back to that concept of a nurture campaign. Call them up, introduce yourself, just say, hey, I'm just wanting to check in. I'm new to the organization. I want to learn more about you and our other valued donors. Can we have a conversation for 10 minutes? We have an hour. You know, ask them, ask them what they've got to spare. And then go through eliciting the donors' opinions, feelings, values, and beliefs. Asking them questions like, what's made you support us over time? What's the most important part about our mission? If you could predict the future, where will we be in five years after we've gotten through some of this hard time? What's your vision for the organization? How would you like to continue to be involved? How do you want to relate with me? Is it okay if I text you? Do you want me to send you short video clips of our program in action? What's going to feel good to you? These kinds of questions are what you should be doing right now. So if you're that new employee and you're not really sure how to broach you know, this, this donor, just start by getting to know them in that way. Then they'll guide you in terms of like, if they're ready for an ask or not. Don't make an ask on that first call. Say, this has been so helpful. Would it be okay if I reach back out to you in another week or the coming weeks so that you don't have to pin it down? You can give yourself that wiggle room if you want. Is it okay if I reach out in the coming weeks to you know, make sure that I, I've understood your priorities and our mission and how they work together? Then that donor is inevitably going to say yes, of course. And then you can call them at that time and say, I've really thought about what, what motivates you and what we're doing. 
And I've got this opportunity I want you to consider. Would it be okay if we talk about that? So that's how you can really expedite the cultivation stage and go straight into stewardship if you have that urgency for cash flow, which I know a lot of you do. And then it's that immediate follow-up with, thank you, here's why you've made an impact, here's what we've done with your money, and then making sure you add it to your calendar, add it to your reports to follow up again in one month, six months, 12 months, and tell them what you've done with their funding. It's so important as a new employee to get that in your calendar so that you don't go crazy with all the newness that's going on. And like I said, there was this bonus. So this is something that if you have time to, to read through, for those of you who are interested, this is the gold standard for Ritz Carlton. And you can really make this your own. If you shift the words and you put your employees in here, it's pretty awesome how this could be a great way to create stewardship at the center and a culture of philanthropy for your organization. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful that I was able to. It really is a, it's an offering and it makes me feel good to be able to provide this. So thank you so much. Well, this wraps up this episode of Creating Community for Good. I hope that Stewardship is the strategy for you and your organization. If you have thoughts on other topics you'd like to discuss, please ping me on LinkedIn or via email. Otherwise, if you liked what you heard and you want to hear more, what you can do to support me and the efforts of this podcast is go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to Creating Community for Good. Rate it and review it and share it with a friend. Thank you so much and have a wonderful day. With this latest valuable episode, we'd love to thank you for joining us on the Creating Community for Good podcast. If you found today's show valuable, simply visit our website, creatingcommunityforgood.com to leave a review as well as to get access to additional resources and relevant links from this show. Stay tuned for more episodes.